guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks, guys. Now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Welcome back to the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. This is CJ. And this is Melissa. And I have something I'd like to say. What's that? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Melissa. Happy birthday to you. Oh, that was beautiful. (laughs) I can tell you really liked it. (laughs) I'm very intrigued to see how that reads on audio later. Welcome back. And yes, I turned 30. It happened. It finally happened. The best Virgo in the world. Beyonce, eat your heart out. That's true. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of Virgos... Remember how I posted that salad bowl on my Instagram? Girl, yes. I just need you to know that like 15 people DM'd me dying for the link to that salad bowl. I know. I totally believe it. It looks amazing. (laughs) Do you want to describe it for the listeners? I got this really handy dandy salad bowl on Amazon and it has like a hundred compartments and it is anybody who's obsessed with organizations favorite new food products and i posted a little tutorial on the gram and cj was like oh my god such a virgo and that made sense until like 20 other non-virgos were dying for it also well it made me laugh because most of the time melissa just shares like live show recordings on her instagram story like i feel like you don't just like put bullshit stuff on there that often or like everyday stuff i should say not bullshit stuff but like everyday stuff but you were like this fucking salad bowl is making the cut (laughs) and that is virgo (laughs) but you know what the funny part is that the people that literally had to respond to that were people that I never speak to. Like, not regular commenters or likers of the gram. Like, the <laughs> people in the cuts that, like, silently watch and don't comment, they all came through for that salad bowl. <laughs> like, this matters. No, it looks super, like, if I was working at an office, I would be all over that salad bowl, for sure. If I had to, like, take my lunch somewhere, that looks that looks great. Yeah, um, I would say uh, swipe up in the Instagram post, but we aren't that famous, no. nor can we link products to anything, no. and we also aren't willing to sponsor Amazon for free, so no. you'll, have to, you'll have to find it on your own. I think, to me, the crowning mark was that the fork has a little space on top. That was my favorite <laughs> part. Like, yeah. even, it, it was designed by a Virgo, like, literally <laughs> thought of everything. I love it. I know. And shout out to my other twin sister, Shelby Virgo. Yes! Of course. Happy of course, Shelby. she reached out on the salad bowl as well. So wait, what, do you guys, are you guys one day apart? Did you find that out? We are. So I'm the 8th and Shelby's the ninth. Uh, for all of the listeners, Shelby is our number one fan from Cincinnati, Ohio. We've mm-hmm. talked about her a million times. But now she is getting even more shout outs because we're next door neighbor birthday twins love it i love that i love that we didn't know that about her 
I knew she was a Virgo. I just didn't know. Oh, you that did. Close. Oh, okay. Yeah. Word. Um, so anyway, I turned 30, I went to Bass Lake, which is like a big giant lake inland from Fresno. Sick as fuck. Okay, tell us It more. was the most beautiful lake on earth, super clean, gorgeous, like well-maintained. The water was probably like 75 degrees. Ooh. It was 90 out in temperature. Um, no one was there. And nice. I'm talking, we were there Labor Day weekend. There wasn't a fucking soul there. It was so nice. If you ever, ever, ever are looking for that type of trip in California, I highly suggest it. Okay. It was beautiful. What was it called again? Bass Lake. Bass Lake. And we I, we rented a pontoon boat. We rented sea dews. And we just fucking laked it up. And it was very affordable. Like... I think I got a 13-person pontoon, and it came out to, like, 40 bucks a person. Holy shit. For six hours. Not Holy shit. Right? That's how... Yes. That's yeah. great. So okay. it was, like, super affordable, um, but it was just a ton of fun. So that was really cool. And then, in even bigger news, I bought a car. I saw... Is it the hamster car? No, it's not the hamster car. Okay. It's a Subaru Crosstrek, which is, like, a little bit bigger than, like, a normal small car, but not as big as, like, an SUV. But it's, like, typically considered, like, an adventurer's car. It's meant for, like, road trips and, like, camping trips and snow. It's all-wheel drive, so it's good in, like, all weather. Um, But it's nice as fuck. I didn't buy-buy it. I'm only leasing it. But it is my first car that I've ever, like, purchased and paid for on my own. Nice. Because all my cars have been hand-me-downs from my sister. Word. And I was like, before 30, I need to be able to, like, one, pick out my own car. Yeah. And, like, I mean, I drive in a car more than I do anything else on Earth. Like, with my commute, you know? Southern California, yeah. I know. For sure. It's yeah. like, I spend more time in my car than I do my apartment. <laughs> So I feel like it's just one of those things that, like, I can and should invest in since yeah. I spend so much time in it. And um, I was able to trade in my old piece of heap. So I got a lot of, mo- like, a good amount of money back from that. And I'm stoked. It's, like, the only, like, quality of thing I own ever in my whole life, 30 years I've been alive. Congratulations. <laughs> That's, know. like, a big deal. Like, most people I know who own their own cars our age, like, either are hand-me-downs or their parents, like, bought them. So it's a big deal to, like, lease your own car. Well, technically, I don't really own it. I have to give it back in three years. Um, side note, but when I was in high school, my best friend, or, like, we had just graduated, but my best friend had had a parent who passed away. When she turned 18, she, like, got access to the money that that parent had left her, and she was going to buy a car. And that was the only time in my life I've ever gone to, like, a car dealership to go car shopping. But we're, like, 19, so her ass buys the a bright yellow truck. I don't even remember the name of that, of that model. But, like, it was so, like, obvious and so nobody else owned it that, like, if you saw that truck in the Bay Area, I was like, oh, yeah, that's my best friend. That's <laughs> like, hilarious. That is such an 18-year-old, 19-year-old purchase. You would never yeah. buy that as, like, a 30-year-old. You're like, why the fuck would I have a bright yellow truck? They had a bright orange cross track that I kept eyeballing, and I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I can't. I don't want to draw attention. Like, knowing me, I'm speeding. Like, I, you know, I need to be undercover. 
And I don't give a shit about cars, and I haven't owned one in a long time, but my dream car is a VW van Westphalia. Yeah, that's The hippie sick. van. That's all I want. That'd be sick. So, West, uh, Volkswagen, if you want to sponsor this podcast. So, yeah, that happened. And then also for my 30th birthday, I went to a place I've never been in my entire life. And that was Universal Studios. I saw that! Which was really cool because I typically hate theme parks for all of the obvious reasons. I hate people. I hate strollers. Yes. (laughs) I hate all the strollers. I hate how boiling hot it is. I hate the lines. Everything costs, like, an arm and a leg. It's just, like... I also don't like, like, all those gross animals that want to take pictures with you, like... It's grimy, for sure. I'm just not a fan. Yeah. I also just hate, like, the cult obsession of theme parks. Just the culture behind how obsessed adults are with it. Also, like, everything bothers me. So, (laughs) the reason why I think I loved Universal so much was because it's, like, more about... It's not just like a theme park where people are going on endless roller coaster rides. There's like actual like history and art and yeah. cinema and like it's more catered to adults and there's a lot of just like the rides are literally you just like sitting down on something that like moves in place while you're watching like a 3D film. Word, yeah. And I kind of really liked that. <laughs> Do they still have the Jurassic Park ride? They did. It was the worst ride in the entire amusement park. I love it. It was five seconds long. It was the most underwhelming thing I've ever experienced in my life, and it had the longest line. Then the cool part was they have, like, a Simpson land, so we got to hang out in, like, literal Simpsons, like, Springfield. And then they also had the Harry Potter world. How Which was, was really that? fun. It was really fun. Cute. But just like walking around in real life villages yeah. of like even Simpsons or Harry Potter, like it's just so fun. So that was really cool. It was a good Cute. 30th birthday. Okay, well, since you brought up theme parks, I, I haven't discussed this yet on the podcast, but I went to a theme park when I got like a week after I got here. And it was the most, it's in Lakewood. It's called Lakewood. Lakewood is like. It's technically a suburb of Denver, but it's, like, right next to Denver. So it's, like, kind of grouped in. And the name of the theme park is Lakewood. And it is, like, it's so run down that it's, like, funny. Like, you go there, nobody checks your tickets on the rides. Nobody. (laughs) You can just, because all of the employees are, like, 15 years old, making, like, seven bucks an hour. They don't give a shit about anything. They're all on their cell phones. Nobody's checking your ticket. All of the lights are, like, out. Half of the rides are closed. When my friend and I got on a bumper, it was the funniest. It's like apocalypse fucking theme park. Yes. Yes. It was, like, almost creepy, but it was so funny. Like, everything (laughs) was just cracking us up. When we got on the bumper boats, the girl who was at the, who never checked our tickets, who was, like, manning the ride, she turned to us and she was like, how many tickets does this ride cost? Like us, just random people at the park. And we just like made up a number. We're like, I don't know, four. And then like as soon as she walked away, we just burst out laughing. We're like, holy shit, nobody knows what is going on at this theme park. That's hilarious. But they have an old wooden roller coaster, which is like the funnest thing in the world. I think those are so much fun. Yeah. Um, Old school style. So this is probably not good for your Virgo mental health, but for some reason, like a month after I went there, I went on this Google deep dive into like extreme theme park accidents 
And I will probably never go to a theme park for the rest of my oh life. Oh my god. It's like very rare, but when it happens, I'm not gonna like we don't need to get into it, but when it happens, it is I'm talking like decapitations. <laughs> it is like people losing limbs. It is like out of control. So I'm never going to a theme park for the rest of my life. You know what I think is the most sketchy ride of any type of amusement park? Hmm. The swings. <sighs> Okay. Like Both you that should go, that like spin in the circle. You should say a prayer to the Almighty before you get on any swings. <laughs> okay, but I have a really funny story about the swings. So that same friend who bought the yellow truck. So when her and I were like eight years old, her dad took us to the county fair, which is the most dangerous place you can take a child. It's just like full of death traps. Nothing is safe. And he and I went on the swings for the first and only time in my life. And like one, like maybe half a minute in, I was like, oh, I'm gonna throw up. And I was just doing everything I could to, like, hold it in and hold oh, it together. Because, like, how bad would it be if you're, like, spinning in circles and vomiting? You know? Oh. <laughs> like, I, I held it in. I managed to hold it in. But I was still super nauseous when I got off the ride. And he could see it in my face. We walked back over to my dad's friend. Or my friend's dad. And he just started laughing at me. Like, he thought it was the funniest thing. And I vomited red icy all over his shoes. <laughs> All over his shoes, and he just kept laughing. Oh, <laughs> God. But I paid him back. I got red icing on his shoes. So. That's so sick. I know. Sorry. Yeah, theme parks are gross. Yeah. They're kind, yeah, they're nasty things. But yeah. I'm glad that you had fun at Universal. It yeah, really there cute. was, like, no kids there. Great. And nice. um, it was just, like, easy. It was not, like, anything I've ever experienced at Disneyland. It was the complete opposite. Before we leave the birthday conversation or the Virgo conversation, I just want to say that you are my favorite Virgo, <laughs> but there is like a really close second. Who's the second? Keanu Reeves. Oh, that's okay. He's 55. Today? Yeah. Oh, well, like uh, a few days ago, like last week. Damn, he's 55? He does not. Yeah, girl. I can't, I think what it is, is that he looked 19 for, like, 25 years. Yeah. So it doesn't, like, register to me that, like, he hasn't been a teenager his whole life. I'm like, oh, you, like, age. Yeah. I love Keanu Reeves. I just so want to put it out there. I love Keanu Reeves. Yeah, he's a good one. I know you don't usually like Virgo males, but he is I, a, Yeah, I usually hate all Virgo men. But not Keanu. Not Keanu. All right, that was 30 minutes, so I don't think we need to go any further. No, we can do wine review and then start. Oh, yeah. So I'll, I'll go, because I just... So I bought... Um, side note, I don't think I've mentioned this yet since I've been in Denver, but in Denver, it is literally like the opposite of New Orleans. You cannot buy liquor, including beer or wine, at a grocery store. All alcohol has to be purchased in liquor stores, which I know is also, like, the law in Utah and other states, but, like, it tends to be a law in conservative states, and Denver is not conservative on the whole, and also you can buy marijuana here for fun, and can I just find it really weird. too? You can't, they're decriminalized. Oh, okay. I have a feeling they'll probably eventually get there, but it just means, like, if you're caught with shrooms, you won't get persecuted. Got or, it. Pro- prosecuted, sorry. Um, but they're not selling them yet, or I'd be all over that shit. But, <laughs> but so, um, so anyway, I went to the liquor store, and I bought a four-pack of, like, little, um, sparkling wines, 
Because the thing with sparkling wine, if you buy a whole bottle of it, you have to drink it the night you open it. Yeah. Because then it goes flat. And I was like, I don't want to, like, go that deep if I don't want to. So, I'm drinking the famous, the cheap, the classy drink of 19-year-olds, Cook's California Champagne. Brut. Um, It's not good, guys. But it's sparkling wine, and I'm drinking it. And I'm not mad at the end. That's my cool. whole review. It's alcohol. Thing. I mean, it's as alcohol. long as it doesn't taste like stanky, like sock wine, like I swear I've been having the past couple episodes. No, it's just like that weird sweetness that you get with cheap wine. Yeah. But it's fine. Like, I'll drink it. What are you drinking? Well, I'm happy to report I have a fucking excellent bottle of wine. Shout out to my two dear friends who absolutely are not listening, but deserve a shout out because they got this for me, Brittany and Lindsay. This was a birthday present. And it's rosé, which has never been my favorite, but this is the best rosé I've ever had in my life. Okay, yes! Like, you saw me take that one sip, and I'm like, whoa, this is good. Okay, it's called Dusk to Dawn, and it's rosé of Pinot Noir, Sonoma Coast, and it kind of looks like a little Harry Potter thing is going on with this label. Okay, yeah, I see. Um, Occult, all right. It is so fucking good. It says that it has charms of strawberry, red currant, and a hint of vanilla, captivating you into the enhancing habitation of the Sonoma Coast. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the fuck they got this from, but, like... If you are somebody that likes rosé, or you need a reason to like rosé, Dusk to Dawn is the fucking bottle. It is so good. Like, I might drink this whole bottle happily. Tonight? Like, maybe. I hope so. (laughs) I'm counting on it. I love it. All right. I feel like I've been drinking more rosé since I came to Denver. I don't know if there's just, like, more variety here, but I've noticed I've been ordering it more. I'm getting more into it. You know what else, too, is I think I like this because it's not super sweet, but it's also not, like, bitter, either. It just has, like, a perfect blend of flavors. It's funny, because what you described, like, the notes sound like it would be sweet, but it's not too sweet. It doesn't taste... No, it's not, like, overwhelmingly sweet. It's mild, but, like, has a really good flavor to it. Dude. Like, I think I'm going to post this on the gram. Like, it's that good. Speaking of things I forgot to post on the gram... Which is not what we were speaking of, but speaking of the gram, I had a chocolate mimosa uh, like a week ago, which I know I texted you out, but I didn't put it on Instagram yet. There's a place, I already forgot the name. Oh yeah, you did tell me about it. The name of the restaurant that I was at is called Chocolate Lab, and it's just full of dishes, like drinks, sweet dishes, and savory dishes that incorporate chocolate in different ways. And they have a chocolate mimosa, and I was like, obviously, I have to fucking get this. And it tasted... This might sound gross, but it actually was really good. It tasted kind of like a Tootsie Roll. Ooh, I love Tootsie Roll. But it was good. Like, it was really, really good. It was bomb. It was fucking bomb. So chocolate mimosa at the Chocolate Lab. Um, The service wasn't great, but... They gave me the chocolate mimosa for free because I think they knew that they weren't doing a great job. So well, that's, they did what hey, they could do. We like you know? free drinks. We do like free drinks. So I will post that on Instagram. And I also, if you guys follow us on Instagram at Mimosa Sisterhood, 
I recently found a Chardonnay that was actually decent, and I don't remember the name because I had it at a restaurant, but um, I loved it because I told the guy, I was like, I don't want Chardonnay, and he was like, let me serve you this, and I was like, is this Chardonnay? And he was like, I would never, and it totally was, <laughs> <laughs> but it was good, it was good, like, not good enough that I would buy a bottle of it, but fine enough that I would drink a glass of it at a restaurant, so. Cool. Yeah. So, you guys, if there's Chardonnay that you think that we are, like, judging partially that we should try, let us know. We will try it. They never have. They never will. True. You know why? Because Chardonnay sucks. (laughs) Okay. Are you getting into it? Yeah, we're ready. So, we don't know who goes first, but I'm going first because mine, I think, is going to be really long. Um, And it's harder to do long ones when you're drunk. So, both women and dicks. So... Today, I will be discussing someone that everybody knows, and I'm not going to tell you who she is, I'm just going to give you an audio hint. Every night in my dreams, (laughs) I see you, I feel you. For a second, I thought you were about to play an audio clip and I was going to yell at you for a copyright infringement, nope. but nope. no, you did that perfectly. If you hadn't already guessed, I am covering this Quebec superstar of the world, Celine Dion. Yeah! And I want to say at the outset, I'm not going to go through like her whole career because like one, there's too much, two, that's kind of boring. I'm basically going to go, like, through how she became a star, and then I want to say, I want to warn you guys, I am going to go a lot into her marriage, which is, like, not to define a successful one by her marriage, but I think it's, like, the one piece of her personal life that, if anyone knows anything about Celine Dion's personal life, they know about her marriage, and it was very scandalous to a lot of people. I don't know shit about her marriage. Really? You don't know? Like, okay. I don't even know who she's married to. Okay. So it was it was very controversial. So okay. that is going to be... that. I'm going to emphasize that just because I think it's interesting. Not to, not to define a woman by who she's married to, but it's a huge part of her life. So we'll get to that. Celine Marie Claudette Dion was born in Charlemagne, Quebec, which is like a suburb of Montreal, in 1968. Keeping with one of my very common themes, she was one of 14 motherfucking children. (laughs) Why do you always have this theme? (laughs) I don't mean to do it! I don't know. I don't know if it's just like, if you're raised in a big family, nobody pays attention to you, so you just like end up doing your own thing. I don't know. So, 14 motherfucking children in the 60s. Her mother was a homemaker, because, like, duh, you have 14 children. You can't just, like, let them run around. And her father was a butcher. By Celine's own account, she grew up poor but happy. And even though her family was very working class, they were always very passionate about music. And she was named after a song called Celine by French singer... Hugh Offre? I don't know. I'm not going to be doing any French pronunciations in this episode, so I'll probably get stuff wrong. Um, her parents owned a small piano bar called The Old Barrel, in which her and her 8,000 siblings regularly performed. Um, and as a result of that experience, she dreamed of being a performer from a very young age. 
In fact, in a 1994 interview with People Magazine, she said, quote, I missed my family, about touring at an early age, I should say. She said, quote, I missed my family in my home, but I don't regret having lost my adolescence. I had one dream. I wanted to be a singer. So, um, I don't know. I think everybody knows who Celine Dion is, but if you've never heard her in an interview, you might not know that she's, like, she grew up speaking French. She did not speak any English growing up whatsoever. That is not something she ever learned until she became a star. So if you ever listen to her interviews, you can still hear that she has a very thick accent to this day. And so her first several albums were all in French. And she got started very early. At age 12, her, her mother, and her brother all worked together to create her first recorded single, which in English was called Nothing But a Dream. But it was in French. But I'm not going to say the French name because I can't pronounce it. Her brother sent this single to music manager Rene Angelil. I hope I'm saying that right. He met with Celine, and when she sang for him in person, he started to cry. Um, and he immediately became her manager. And in 1981, he actually mortgaged his house to produce her first French record. Whoa. Which, yes. Which became, well, this is going to make more sense once we get into her personal life, which became a local number one hit and made her an instant star in Quebec. So, 12 years old, she's gone. During her teen years, her popularity spread to other parts of the world as she competed in singing competitions, which I didn't even know were a thing, in countries all over like Japan, Sweden, and Ireland. By 1983, at the age of 15, she became the first Canadian ever to receive a gold record in France for the single of love or a friendship. That's, it's, that's what it is in English. I'm not going to pronounce these French words. Okay. So, at age 18, after seeing Michael Jackson perform, she told Renee, the manager, that she wanted to be a star like Michael Jackson. And even though she had a ton of talent, if you've ever heard Celine Dion, you know this bitch can fucking sing. Not a question. Um, he realized that her image needed to change a little bit for her to be marketable. And she definitely needed to learn English. So. She didn't speak any English? Like, I think she might, you know, she probably spoke a tiny bit. But in Qu Quebec, like, is a French-speaking province of Canada. So you don't, like, French is the first language. Um, and I think in Montreal, because I read this when I was there, it's something like 50% of everybody there speaks French. And 50% speak English. Whoa. Yeah. So it's like its own world. It's like its own world. And then the rest of Canada speaks English. It's very interesting. Uh, but. So, Wait, so do French Canadians also like all the other, like, stereotypical Canadian shit? Like what? Like maple syrup and shit? And like hockey and there's like moose and like all that kind of jam? Yeah. I think they're just a little bit more... Fucking French. Do they still say sorry all the time, but in French? Sorry. <laughs> pardon. Pardon. Sacre bleu. I will say, so this is, side note, this is as someone who lives in New Orleans, like, Cajun is French Acadian, which is French Canadian. Mm -hmm. So it's all, it's all connected, guys. We're on mushrooms. It's all circled together. Okay. So he kind of like took her out of the spotlight for a while so she could like remake her image. He made her learn English. So he took her to like an English language school. Um, he, she got dental surgery and she, this is not ever stated anywhere online, 
but she obviously got a nose job. If oh, you yeah? Google Celine Dion childhood photos, she, I'm going to say it, she's not cute. Like, I don't mean that in a mean way, but, like, she does not look, I mean, she, I don't want to say she doesn't look anything like she does now, but, like, she very clearly had cosmetic work done, which, like, no shade, get your life, get your fucking Grammy awards, whatever. But so they very strategically, like, took her out of the spotlight, let her have some downtime, got her whole act together, and then debuted her, basically, in the English market, the American market. Um, but you really should Google her childhood photos, because it's... It's something to see. Uh, two years after this kind of retreat from the spotlight, so this is 1990, she made her debut in the English market with the album Unison. And I didn't think I knew any of the songs from this album, but this album included the single Where Does My Heart Beat Now, which I realized I do know. Where does my heart beat now? Yeah, I know that one. Mm-hmm. And that became her first top 10 hit on the American Billboard's Hot 100. But her real breakout hit came in 1991 in her Disney duet, Tale as Old as Time for Beauty and the Beast. And when they made And when they made the Disney remake recently with like Hermione Granger, whatever her name is, she re-recorded the song. No way. Yeah, so there's like she did it she was like, Look, bitch, this is my fucking song. (laughs) So like don't even try me. Uh, and that became that was kind of her big breakout hit. And it gained her her first Grammy Award for Best Vocal Performance by a group or duo. It also won an Academy Award for Best Song, but it didn't go to her because she didn't write the song. But it was a very, very popular song. And in 1992, she released her second English album, which included that single. It was titled, the name of the album was Celine, and it was even more successful than her first uh, English album. And she's also, I want to say for anybody who knows Celine Dion, like, this is something I didn't know. Like, she's basically living two music lives. She has released more French records than she has English records. But because I don't speak French, I don't pay attention to that. But she's basically had, like, a double career in French and in English her entire life, and I never knew that. Weird. So she's working. Like, she's working double time, making music for everybody. Um, And to that point... By the early 90s, by, like, 93, she's a, she's basically, like, a bona fide superstar in the U.S. And I assume I don't have to tell people about Celine Dion. I just assume everybody knows her. But I get that there are, like, maybe younger listeners who somehow don't because she isn't, like, her music is kind of, like, old now, I guess. But if you don't know, her voice is, like, this massive belting, like, he, like put her in an auditorium and she can sing the house down kind of voice. It's, like, a very powerful voice. Um, and so she rose to fame very quickly because of that ability and her French fans, her Quebec fans started to get resentful because they said that she was abandoning them for the English market, but she continued to make French albums. And in 1991 at the Felix Awards, which is kind of like the Quebec Grammys, she won English artist of the year and she refused to accept the award saying that she was and would always be a French, not an English artist. Oh, wow. Interesting, right? Okay. So that's, like, her rise to fame. Just want to give that in a nutshell. So she's very much like a rags-to-riches story. She grew up poor shit, like, one of 14 kids, started super young, lit, like, never, I mean, like, her whole life from 12 years old on was, like, she was a child star, basically, traveling, making music, sacrificed a lot of her life for that. 
Um, before I move on to her personal stuff, I have to give a shout out to a song that everybody should fucking know, which is My Heart Will Go On from the Titanic soundtrack. And I bring that up because it literally is one of the most famous songs of all time. Everybody knows that song. Um, and when I actually looked at the statistics, it was like, let me back up. If you're a younger, if you're like under the age of 25, you might not like get this, but so I'm 32. When that song came out, you like could not turn on the radio without hearing that song. It was everywhere all the time. Like every top 10 TRL top of like, it was everywhere constantly. People couldn't get enough of it. Uh, it is legitimately one of the most best-selling songs of all time. It hit number one in every single country that has a billboard. Dang. Every yeah. single one. Uh, it won the 1998 Academy Award for Best Original Song. It won the 1999 Grammy Award for Record of the Year, Song of the Year, Best Female Pop Vocal Performance, and Best Song Written for a Motion Picture or Television. My Heart Will Go On also won the Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song in 1998. And it and the worldwide sales were estimated at 18 million copies, which makes it the second best-selling single by a female artist of all time and the eighth best-selling song of all time. Crazy. Right. But so also- this is... Like, if you watched Titanic and w- didn't cry when that song was playing, you're a full-blown sociopath. And I'm literally, you are a, that's like a, that could be like a psychological assessment. Right? You're like, does this make you cry? Yes or no? So then, like, this is, like, not about Celine, but I had to, like, do a side note. So then I was like, okay, let me look at the best-selling songs of all time, because I need to know. And, like, it's not... It's variable depending on like how people measure things. Yeah. But from what I read, like a Bing Crosby Christmas song is the best selling song of all time. I forget what it's like White Christmas or something by Bing Crosby. Okay. But the second best selling song of all time is Elton John's nineteen ninety seven Princess Diana version of Candle in the Wind. Oh. Which Another I like. Another song that if that doesn't make you cry, yeah, you're a sociopath. And, and I wanted to bring it up because anyway, because Elton John is life, and and I'm literally wearing an Elton John T-shirt right She's now. Just wearing an Elton John T-shirt. I was listening to Elton John when Melissa called me. And <laughs> we love Elton John, but that just like made me. I don't know. That made me like. And also just another like Princess Diana, who we did cover, but we were too drunk to ever hear the episode. <laughs> That, like, she was so well-beloved that a song about her is the second best-selling song in the history I of should the just, planet. We should just cover her again. I think we it's should. It's been, like, so long, too, I feel like, that, like... We, we could redo it. it. I think we should. We could redo the whole episode. I think we'd be fine. Yeah, because so. those were two of the best ladies we've ever had. Ew, I know. So fucking wasted. Such, <laughs> such a hot mess. Okay, so that's her, like, rise to fame... My Heart Will Go On, of all the singles she's ever had, that is by far, like, her signature song. It's the one that everybody knows is Celine Dion. So, I was going to say, let's dive into the thing that everyone knows about her personal life, but apparently not everybody knows this, so this will be exciting. Her marriage to her manager. I kind of figured that's where this was headed. Renee. Also, I don't trust any man named Renee. I mean, listen, I've met a couple guys or, like, heard of a couple guys named Ashley, and I'm like, stop. (laughs) <laughs> stop like I'm all like gender I don't give a fuck about gender but I'm like I, like stop it stop it right now <laughs> Ashley's not a boy name it's just silly 
Um, so Renee, her manager, was 26 years older than her. And keep in mind, he became her manager when she was 12 years old. Ew. That's so, so gross. In 1993. So, like, how old was he then? What's 12 plus so, 26? We're going to get there. Okay. So, <laughs> I say that because I'm too bad at math to tell you, and I have to wait till I get to that part in my notes. So, in 1993, Celine releases her album called Color of My Love, and this is when she comes public with their romantic relationship. So in the dedication section of her album, remember like when CDs had like little packets inside yeah. and they had like dedications inside? Uh-huh. In the album notes of that album, she calls Renee the color of my love. So that was like her public way of coming out with their relationship. The story goes, the story goes, that she started to develop feelings for him when she was 17 and that they didn't begin their relationship until she was 18. When they started working together, she was 12 and he was 38. Ew. So here's the thing, like, maybe that's true, but, like, of course they had to say she was 18 when they started or he literally would have been arrested. So I'm a little caught, like, I am i don't totally believe that's true, right? Like, and this is, like, the part where I think we might have discussion because this is a thing that's very common in the music industry. Like, R. Kelly and Aaliyah. R. Kelly married Aaliyah when she was, like, 14, and he was in his mid-30s. Even Jay-Z and Beyonce, which nobody talks about. Like, Jay-Z met Beyonce when she was a teenager, and he was, like, in his late 20s. You know, like, it's just this thing that happens, and, like, as I'm going to get into their story, she stayed with him until he died. Like, Celine stayed with him until he died. Like, she seemed to be madly in love with him. I have dated men who are significantly older than me, but I did not do that until I was in my late 20s and was, like, a full-grown adult female. So, like, on the one hand, like, she seemed to really love him, and it's, like, not my place to judge. On the other hand, when you're 12 years old, you're touring all the time, you literally have no social life, the only man you've ever known is this guy. Like, yeah, of course you fall in love with him. There's no one else to fall in love with. Yeah. That was the point I was going to make. There's literally, she hasn't, she's not around anyone her age. No. Um, and there's this guy who's come, who's literally like crying the first time he meets you because your voice is so beautiful. Telling you how great you are. You're perfect. You're a star. Even the fact that, like, he mortgaged his house to sell her first album, I'm like, did they really, like, I kind of feel like he fell in love with her when she was 12. I feel like his feelings were there right away, and, like, I don't know, like, I I don't have, like, I don't know. I don't want to be like, I, you can't do that, that's nasty. I've literally dated men who were 25 years older than me, um... But I, it does, it makes me wonder. When you're the only man in a young girl's life, yeah, duh. Like, you're the center of her world because there's nobody else. But she's also young, immature, doesn't know any better, doesn't have any romantic history, doesn't have experience with other people her age. Like, you're the first and last, and that's where it becomes skeptical. You're the first and last, and you have become this vehicle for her to live her dreams. So you're like an idol to her. Right? Like, you... um, At the same time, you could also argue that, like, they... I mean, he helped her become what she is. And, like, I could see why you would love... Like, that's not necessarily nasty, right? Like, that's what partners are supposed to do. They're supposed to, like, help you grow. That's what managers are supposed to do. I mean, and that. 
So it's true. So <laughs> let me give you a little bit more background on him. Just a little bit. So he had been married twice previously before he, so he was, he was not married when he met Celine. I don't think, not that I could see. He had been married twice previously and had multiple children and a f- so he, spoiler alert, he has since passed on. Like, she's still alive, but he died because he's significantly older than her. He died, I think, in 2015. And they were still married when he died. Um, and a few years ago, I think it was after he died, she admitted in an interview that at the time of that their affair began, her mother was extremely upset about it. Her mother was fucking pissed and thought it was complete. I mean, like... And rightfully so. Like, thought it was completely disgusting. Not just because of the age, but also because he had been, like, previously married and divorced multiple times. She was like, I don't trust him. Well, it's also, like, this isn't, like, your boss at Subway. This is, like, um, you know, a music producer that's here to build a faint, like, a famous, universally known career. Right. Like, this should be as professional as professional right. could get. In this interview, Celine said, quote, speaking about her mother, it was very difficult for her. When I told her I had some really strong feelings for Renee, she tried everything to kill him and make me snap out of it. But in the end, love always wins. I think that probably meant, like, kill her feelings. Yeah. But I think maybe it was just, like, a translation thing. In the end, love always wins. Yeah. Which is, like, of course, Celine Dion, who writes all these, like, love songs, you know. Um, most of her friends and family were not happy about it, but she doubled down on it and insisted that she was in love with him. And at some point she's an adult who makes her own decisions and you either get on board with it or you don't, you kind of, you know, your child grows up, you gotta do, you gotta let her do what she's going to do. And so eventually, uh, she announces in 1993 in those album notes that they are a couple the public reaction was very mixed. Some people thought it was amazing and romantic. And oh my God, he like found her and she was in poverty and he like made her famous and she loves him and this love group. And some people were like, that nasty. So it was a very mixed reaction. They got married in 1994. So she was 23 at the time and he was 52. And they got married at the Notre Dame Basilica in Montreal, which is not where I went, but it was very, I walked by that place, but I had a very long line. I was like, fuck it, I'm not going in there. And holy shit, Melissa, right now, and anybody who is listening, if you, if you have the ability to see, if you have like sights, I don't know, look up Celine Dion wedding pictures. Like do like it right, right now. Right now, do it. Just look it up. Celine Dion wedding. Is it some elaborate crazy shit? Girl, get ready. (laughs) (laughs) Like, full on, like, Disney princess. What is with her headpiece? Her her headpiece is, like, almost a foot off her head. She's also in, like, an entire... Like, at one point, she's wearing, like, a fur yep. coat over mm-hmm. her wedding. Yeah. Wedding dress. So they got, year was this? So they got married. It was 1994. They got married in December in Montreal, which is, like, freezing cold. So, like, her dress... Her, walking into the chapel, she's wearing this, like, white fur overcoat thing that Melissa's describing. Um, but her entire dress is, like... Princess Diana's wedding dress doesn't even hold a candle to this. It really was almost like a royal wedding for Canada. It was a huge deal. 
Um, it was very public. The press were out on this, like literally as soon as the ceremony was over, they came out onto the church steps and gave a press conference, which I read online. I couldn't find a lot of info on this, but I read in one source that the press had to pay 500,000 Canadian dollars a piece to be part of that wedding. So they basically let the press pay for their wedding. Whoa. Yeah. That's what happens when you marry a manager 25 years older than you. He's like, we're not paying for this. They can pay for this. That's crazy. So it's a huge, it's out of control. Really, guys, Google it. You will laugh your ass off. It is out of control. They get married in 1994. Again, 20, he's 52, she's 23. So not that surprisingly, and I don't say that in a mean way, but not surprisingly, five years into their marriage, at the height of her career, he gets diagnosed with throat cancer. Because no he's, way. like, almost in his 60s and, like... Once you get to a certain age, like, you become much more prone to all these diseases, right? So he, that time, he ultimately recovered. Um, but, you know, she kind of had to put her career on pause to, to be there for him and care for him. And then once he came back to, to health, they focused on building a family. They had a very hard time conceiving and used IVF to have their first son in 2001 and this is, like, gross, but I'm going to say it. When I was, like, Googling them, I saw her son, and I was like, oh, my God, he's, like, actually really cute, but I don't know if he's 18. I'm allowed to say this, so let me Google it. He's literally 18 years old, so, like, I get to be creepy and say that her son is a fucking hottie. What, he's, like, banging? He's banging, yeah. Now I gotta look him up. Look him up. He's banging. <laughs> For, like, an 18-year-old, I'm like, okay, yes, he's a cutie, for sure. Yep. He's yeah. pretty cute. Yeah. Not if I was 18, I'd hit it. They had a very hard time conceiving after him, and they tried again, but she had a pregnancy that ended in miscarriage, sadly. And then finally in 2010, so nine years after their first son was born, they gave birth to a set of twin boys. Oh, wow. Um, and during the 2000s, especially in the early 2000s, she took a break um, partially because Renee got ill, but also because this bitch made, like, 13 albums in the 90s. Like, she was pumping out albums, like, two albums a year, basically, in the 90s. And so she was like, I'm gonna take a break. Like, I'm tired, my husband's ill, I've been working for, like, 20 years, I'm trying to have a family and do my thing. She did release a couple of albums in the early 2000s. Um, but this is right around, like, 2002, 2003 is where she makes the business move of a fucking lifetime where she starts her Vegas residency. Oh, shit. Now, at that time, Vegas residencies were not seen as something that, like, stars did. Like, at that time, Vegas residencies were very, like, that's what you do when your career is dead. So she was, like, it was different in, like, the 70s and 60s or whatever. But, like, in the early 2000s, like, big stars did not do residencies in Vegas. It was seen as kind of, like, oh, that's where you go to die. Um, but what happened was she had gone to a show of Cirque du Soleil. There's a ton of Cirque du Soleil shows. If you've ever been to Vegas, there's, like, 20 of them running at any given time. Excuse me. And she was so blown away by the show that she asked to go backstage and meet the cast and crew and the director, whose name I did not write down, heard that she was a huge fan and he reached out to her and was like, hey, what if we did a collaboration and you did a residency and I produced it and directed it and made it super theatrical. So on March 25th, 2003, she debuts her first Vegas residency called A New Day. 
Um, and to the and like she basically set the stage. Now Lady Gaga has a residency in Vegas. Britney Spears has had one for several years. J Lo has had one. All of that is because Celine Dion did it first. And if you think about it as like a musician, like that's kind of as good as it gets. You make money. You don't have to tour. You show up and sing twice a twice two hours a day or whatever, and like you have your rehearsals in between. But it's basically like you have a forty hour a week job, and you get to make a fuck ton of money off it. Um, I just the other day looked up Lady Gaga tickets in Vegas. Mm-hmm. What do you guess the cheapest ticket is? Two hundred. Seven. Seven hundred dollars. Yes. And there you have it. <laughs> Which is a great segue. So, um, that first residency at Caesars Palace ended on December 15th, 2007, after a five-year run. It is, to this day, the most successful residency of all time. It grossed over $385 million, and she her original contract, which was three years, was for $100 million. That was her share. But then it was so popular that they extended it an additional two years. So she fucking made bank off that residency. And then she returned with a second residency in 2011 called Celine, which, which just ended in June of this year. So all told, she had a 16 year residency at Caesars Palace. And I think this is what made her so fucking rich, which if you'd like to know, Celine Dion's net worth is $800 million, which makes her one of the richest musicians of all time. And I've, I've read like different things online. So like I read different things about Madonna's net worth. Like some sources I read said Madonna was worth 500 million. Some said that she was worth 850 million. So it depends on like how you run the numbers, but like Celine Dion is either the first or the second richest female singer of all time, depending on, like, the Madonna thing. And for reference, Beyonce, like, the queen of the world, is worth $400 So, like, one half... I mean, she's younger, obviously, and, like, and Jay-Z is worth, like, a billion on his own, but her personal net worth is $400 Celine's is $800. Like, she she fucking figured that shit out. So, rich as shit. Sadly... In 2015, Renee's cancer came back. He was in his early 70s. Um, and this is actually really, like, sad. Celine said in an interview, quote, Renee says to me, I want to die in your arms. And I said, okay, I'll be there. You'll die in my arms. And he died in her arms in 2016, two days before his 74th birthday. Mm. So, like. Dang, he died kind of young for an old dude. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's actually, like, the life expectancy for, like, for American men. Oh. Yeah. But, um, and to make it even sadder, two days later, one of her brothers died of cancer. Ooh. So, like, within three days, she lost two of the people she loves the most to cancer. Um, but, so, like, for all that, like, weirdness about them being, like, she was madly in love with him, and she stayed with him all, she literally held him as he died, so. That's gnarly. However, like, weird we might judge it or whatever, like, like, it was real. Like, she really, really loved him. Um, so that was in 2016. So it was three years ago. And I included this just for you. Following his death, 
your spirit animal Pink wrote a song for Celine. Like Pink was like so overwhelmed by his death and like what Celine was going through that she wrote a song for Celine about the death of her husband called Recovering, which is like a single that Celine has performed and you can find it online and it's going to be on her upcoming album. And I wanted to, just because you're a Pink fan, I wanted to include this quote of Celine's. Quote, Pink wrote me a song that I'm freaking out about. You cannot be more excited than me, I'll tell you. I'm thrilled not only because I'm a fan, but because I know Pink personally and have met her a few times. Um, Pink said in response, quote, Celine possesses one of the most incredible voices that I've ever heard. She is like a magic light bulb walking around emanating light into the world. When I wrote the song, there was such a simple need to do it. I know everyone wants to hear Celine wail. I wanted to hear Celine's soul. She is simply amazing, and getting to write a song for her is one of the biggest honors of my life. Aww. So, I wanted to include that because I know you love Pink. And apparently, Pink approached her about the song while she was grieving. And one last thing uh, Celine said, quote, She's a, about Pink. She's a genuine person, and it was so generous of her to take the time to write a song for me during the most difficult time of my life. People have a tendency to send me really sad songs, and we do want to sing the touching songs, but life is beautiful, and I really want to believe that Renee has a life after this life, and that he doesn't suffer anymore. Yeah, so cute. So, kind of wrapping up. So she took time off from her residency, obviously, to care for Renee and grieve him and her brother, but she eventually went back to it. Um, She has since announced that she will be releasing an album this November. And in exactly one week from today, she will be kicking off her first world tour in over a decade. Wow. And I found this when I was Googling around. She was recently, like within the last month, seen snuggling up with a young, very pretty man named Pepe Munoz, who is one of her backup dancers. And people... Pepe! Pepe, and he's really pretty. And people were speculating all over the place, but... She just recently cleared the air and let everyone know that while she had a crush on him when she met him and she thinks he's a babe, he is in fact gay. And he, <laughs> and he is just her best friend who she's found comfort in since her husband's death. And I didn't write this quote down, but she said something about like, just like getting to, he's really tall, I guess. And she's like, just getting to be held by like a six foot three man was like really comforting. So he's just like her gay best friend who's like helped her Aww. grieve her husband's death. And that is so cute to me. That's so sad though. Yeah, I know. So yeah. So to wrap up, just so like, I like to give, you like to have quotes at the end of your things. I like to give statistics. So <laughs> Celine has recorded over 25 albums in both French and English. She has won five Grammy Awards and was nominated for an additional 11 Grammy Awards. And she's also won a bajillion awards outside of the Grammys. And she has sold over 200 million records worldwide over the span of her career. And as I said, she is the most or one of the most richest female recording artists to ever walk this earth. And she was one of 14 children being raised in a very poor household in Quebec. Crazy. So she's had a crazy life. And that is Celine Dion. Wild. Uh, yeah. She's queen. She's fucking, well, you saw the wedding photos. She is queen. <laughs> she's fucking queen. So wait, side note. So do you know the movie Deadpool? Yeah. So she did a song for Deadpool too, 
called really? Ashes, which I just watched literally like five minutes before you called me. And the, and it's like really because Deadpool's like sassy, I guess. And at the end yeah. of the video, he's like, Celine, like that was too good. Like, can you bring it down? That was like an 11. And Celine goes, This is only an 11. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fucking great. And that's Lady on in a nutshell. So that's Yay. her. I love mm-hmm. it. I didn't. I really didn't know a lot about Celine Dion. Um, but she seems like a very humble person. Yeah, I think she just wanted to sing and be in love and have a family, and she did all those things. Crazy. I know. I I wanted to cover her when we had that episode where we both covered the the. Canadian ladies, I was like, all right, it's time. It's time to cover Celine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have Zodiac guesses. I'm curious to know. But I'm not, like, totally sold on any of them. Okay. I think my first guess is Leo. Good guess, but no. That would have been a guess of mine, too. My second guess is Virgo. No. Interesting. Why? I don't know, to be honest. Okay. For some reason, when I just look at her, like... She's very well put together. I think because, like, she was just so, like, she knew what she wanted and just did it. Word. Yeah. That seems kind of like a Virgo thing. Totally. Um... I don't... I don't know. Like, I don't really see either of the two fires in her... I don't really see air. Definitely not air. Do you want? Do you want another guess? Do you want a hint? Do you want? Yeah. What's a What's a hint? Well, she is a fire sign. Really? Yeah. Aries. Yep. How? I, I know. I don't know her whole Well, chart. I guess her date and that fucking manager makes more sense. What? Like, why? <laughs> I feel like Aries have, like... And I, I know I've, like, bashed on Aries a lot, but I feel like Aries is the type of sign to, like, strategically figure out who's going to get them to the top and a, quickest. A thousand percent. Aries date up. Well, Aries just will BFF or connect or have in their social circle anyone else who's going to help them get to where they need to get. Absolutely. Whether they absolutely despise that person or not, they'll fake it till they make it. Absolutely. Okay. So, I'm covering somebody that has made several headlines in the media very recently. Well, especially over the past couple years, but very recently in the past few weeks. So... Not surprising if you know of her. Um, But I've been thinking about covering her for a while now. And with her most recent headlines, I felt like now's the time. Because this fucking girl's insane. So today we are covering Greta Thunberg. I don't know if I know her. She is the Swedish teenager who is raising global awareness of the risks of climate change. I sail in the ocean. And just <laughs> sailed the entire ocean literally like a week ago. Yes. Okay. Um, but I actually heard about Greta 
probably like six months ago. Uh, before this whole sailing the ocean thing happened. Uh, do you know much about her? All I know is the sailing thing. Okay, you're going to like this. Sweet. So, Greta might be the youngest person we've covered on this podcast. How old is she? Today, as of now, she's 16 years old. I think you're right. Um, I did cover the, whose name? I, yes. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't I ever remember her name. her name. Yesra. Yesra Mardini. Okay. Yes. Yesra. 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 So Yesra Mardini and Greta, which I think she pronounces it Greta, um, are the two youngest people. And I think they both are and were 16 when I've been covering some of their highlighted moments of their lives. Um, but Greta actually goes back a little bit before being 16 because her interest in climate change, like, started when she was about eight years old. So, here is her story. Greta Thunberg was born in Stockholm, Sweden in 2003. Stop it. I was graduating eighth grade. I was getting blowjobs. So. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> Her mother was an opera singer, and her father is an actor, based out of bo- both of them based out of Sweden. And Greta first learned about climate change in 2011 when she was eight years old, and she was very confused and very upset to find out that so little was being done about it. Three years later, Greta became depressed and lethargic, and she stopped talking and eating. <gasps> She was eventually diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, an obsessive compulsive disorder, and selective mutism. Wow. So that was probably around 11 years old, or 10, is when her diagnosis came through. So Greta understood that her diagnosis has and will continue to limit her in certain areas of her life, but she does not view her autism as an illness, and she's instead called her autism as a superpower. So for the next two years, Greta challenged her parents to lower the family's carbon footprint by becoming a vegan and giving up flying, which meant that her mother had to give up her international career as an opera singer. I'd be like, look, bitch. <laughs> Right. I pay the bills here. Right? Wow. And her mom literally gave up her That's career. amazing, though. Because she was flying so much to do her gigs. Yeah. So because Greta's parents were willing to make these lifestyle changes for her and for the cause, it gave her further hope that she could make a difference with the rest of the world. In May 2018, Greta won a climate change essay competition that was held by a Swedish newspaper that ended up publishing her article, which stated, quote, I want to feel safe, but how can I feel safe when I know that we are in the greatest crisis in human history? I don't know what the rest of the article said, but that was the main takeaway. (laughs) Then on August 20th in 2018... Greta, who had just started ninth grade, decided that she was no longer going to attend school until the Swedish general election took place on September 9th, so only like a couple weeks later, um, 
because Sweden had just experienced its hottest summer in 262 years that consisted of heat waves and wildfires. So when she went on this anti-school protest, her demands were that the Swedish government reduce carbon emissions in accordance with the Paris Agreement, and she protested by sitting outside of the parliament office every day for three weeks during school hours with a sign that read, School Strike for the Climate. She also handed out leaflets that stated, quote, I am doing this because you adults are shitting on my future. <laughs> love it oh my god wait so this was how old is she this was this year this is 2018 this was two years ago so she was 14 14 wow she well it said she would have just started ninth grade oh so she just started ninth grade and immediately ditched the first three weeks (laughs) same (laughs) (laughs) to protest i love it on parliament stairs so her father did not like her missing school, but he said, quote, we respect that she wants to make a stand. She can either sit at home and be really unhappy or protest and be happy. So they just let her protest and do her thing in order to make her a happy person. And in an interview with Amy Goodman from Democracy Now!, Greta said that she first got the idea of a climate strike after school shootings in the United States occurred in February 2018 that resulted in several youths refusing to go back to school and ultimately organizing the March for Our Lives protest in support of greater gun control. So that whole initiative that took place in Florida is what mm-hmm. like inspired her to do this in Sweden. And according to Ingmar Retzhog who's the founder of a Swedish climate-focused social media company called We Don't Have Time. Her strike began attracting public attention after he turned up at one of her protests with a freelance photographer, and he posted a photograph of Greta on his Facebook page and his Instagram account. He had also made a video in English that he posted on the company's YouTube channel that reached almost 88,000 views. So he, that Swedish-based climate change social media account is really kind of what captured what she was doing and helped spread it universally. After the elections, Greta continued to strike only on Fridays, which quickly gained worldwide attention. She inspired school students across the globe to take part in student strikes, and as of December 2018, more than 20,000 students had held strikes in at least 270 cities. That's a lot. Yeah. Like, young kids don't usually give a shit about this kind of stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's a, 20,000? That's a lot of fucking young kids to be protesting for this matter. A thousand percent. So after October 2018, Greta's activism evolved from protesting to taking part in demonstrations throughout Europe, making several high-profile public speeches, and mobilizing her growing number of followers on social media platforms. By March ni- ni- I'm sorry, by March 2019, she was still staging her regular protests outside the Swedish Parliament every Friday, where other students now joined her. In February 2019, 224 academics signed an open letter of support stating that they were inspired by the actions of Greta and the striking school children in making their voices heard. 
the United Nations Secretary General, Antonio Gutierrez, also endorsed the school strikes initiated by Greta, admitting, quote, my generation has failed to respond properly to the dramatic challenge of climate change. This is deeply felt by young people. No wonder they're angry. In one of her first speeches demanding climate action, Greta described the selective mutism aspect of her condition as meaning she only speaks when necessary and said, quote, now is one of those moments. Mm. And as her protests gained momentum, she was invited to give speeches at a variety of forums, which enabled her to expand on her concerns. So far... She has four interwoven themes, and I'm going to list them. The first is that the crisis caused by global warming is so serious that humanity is facing an existential crisis, quote, that will most likely lead to the end of our civilization as we know it. Yep. The second is that she holds the current generation of adults responsible with statements such as, quote, you are stealing our future. She is especially concerned about the impact the climate crisis will have on young people like her. Speaking at Parliament in London, she said, quote, You lied to us. You gave us false hope. You told us that the future was something to look forward to. Her third key message is that we need to wake up and change because very little is being done to solve the problem. She says the situation is so dire, we should all be panicking. And her fourth, or sorry, her fourth and last point is that politicians and decision makers need to listen to the scientists, pointing out in 2019 that, quote, according to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, we are less than 12 years away from not being able to undo our mistakes. Mm-hmm. So Greta uses graphic analogies to highlight her concerns and spinks speaks bluntly to business and political leaders, often scolding them for their lack of action. For instance, she told a panel of prominent business and political leaders at Davos, quote, some people, some companies, some decision makers in particular have known exactly what priceless values that they have been sacrificing to continue making unimaginable amounts of money. I think many of you here till today belong to that group of people. Get it, girl. Get she, it. She went on to say, quote, I want you to act as if the house was on fire because it is. In London, in October 2018, she said, quote, we're facing an immediate unprecedented crisis that has never been treated as a crisis and our leaders are all acting like children. She also points out that the strategies adopted by various governments to limit global warming. Oh, wait, sorry. I was supposed to cut this out and I forgot. So we'll cut that out. Okay. In a statement she originally posted on her Facebook page, Greta acknowledges that she is not a climate scientist. She is merely a messenger who is repeating what scientists have been communicating to the public for decades, so far without much success. She says, if everyone listened to the scientists and acknowledged the facts, then we students could all go back to school. In August 2019, which is 
literally last month, Greta sailed across the Atlantic Ocean from Plymouth, UK, to New York, United States, in a 60-foot racing yacht equipped with solar panels and underwater turbines. Was she alone? She was alone. Oh, my God. The trip was announced as a carbon-neutral transatlantic crossing, serving as a demonstration of Greta's declared beliefs of the importance of reducing emissions. The voyage lasted 15 days from August 14th to August 28th. She had on the yacht's sail in capital letters the words, quote, unite behind the science. While in America, Greta will be attending the UN Climate Action Summit in New York City and the COP25 Climate Change Conference in Santiago, Chile. So that's like pretty much her whole life story, but then I wanted to go into some of the like awards that she's received in her very short lifespan. <laughs> In November 2018, about three months into her school climate strike, she was nominated for the Children's Climate Prize, which is awarded by the Swedish electricity company, Telg Energy. But, however, Greta declined to accept the award because many of the finalists would have to fly to Stockholm for the ceremony (laughs) in order to meet with one another. She's like, look, bitch, this is not a game. (laughs) (laughs) Don't try it. Later that year, she was awarded the Freihiesit Scholarship of the Young Role Model of the Year, and Time Magazine named her one of the world's 25 most influential teenagers of 2018. On the occasion of International Women's Day, she was proclaimed the most important woman of the year in Sweden in 2019. Get it. And on April 12th, 2019, she shared the Norwegian Frit Ords Prize, which celebrates freedom of speech with the Nature and Youth Organization. She donated her share of the prize money to a lawsuit which seeks to halt Norwegian oil exploration in the Arctic. Mm. And on March 13th, 2019, two deputies of the Swedish parliament and three deputies of the Norwegian parliament nominated Greta as a candidate for the Nobel Peace Prize. The nominating politicians explained that their decision by arguing that global warming will be the cause of, quote, wars, conflict, and refugees if nothing is done to halt it. If Greta receives the prize later this year, she will become the youngest person ever to receive it in history. And that's her story. It's short and sweet. I have a lot to say. I imagine. It's, I, <laughs> as I'm, like, reading it, I'm like, oh, this is kind of depressing. Maybe well, I should have gone first. <laughs> no, I don't, I mean, it's like, what, sh- it's, it is and it's not. Like, it's depressed. What she's fighting against is depressing, but that she's fighting against it is, like, very amazing and uplifting. Yeah. Um, the first thing I wanted to say was, like, I think literally the last episode or the second to last episode we recorded, we were like, can you imagine you have to fucking sail across the Atlantic Ocean to fucking get <laughs> And she's literally sailing across the Atlantic Ocean. By herself at 16. That, and that was the other thing I was going to say, was, like, I... Can you, like, literally, it's just ocean. There's nothing else for 15 days. And she's doing it via, like, solar panel and, like, 
the most energy efficient way possible without like having any type of waste. So nuts. Love Greta. Um, I also, it's funny because I'm so people oriented in my activism. Like I'm not environmentally oriented necessarily, but we really are at a point where I'm like, oh, I think our planet might not have much time left. Like, I don't know. Like if our generation has kids, I genuinely don't know if there is going to be a planet for them to live on. And like we, it really is that serious. Um, and that's not like liberal and that's not political. That's just like scientific facts. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's pretty scary. These children are literally, I can understand why they'd be depressed and like have mental health issues when they're like, I literally don't even know if I'm going to have a planet to grow up on. Well, they're like, I'm either going to be killed at school or I'm going to die when the planet rots to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love that you covered her because, you know, I think a a lot of ways, like compared to some people, like I don't drive a car, not that that's bad, but, um, I'm like, what am I doing? But essentially like at the end of the day, it comes down to companies, like individual consumers can only do so much. Like companies have to stop doing this. Right. Like, yeah. They have all the power. They're the ones who are drilling in the Arctic. Like, we can't, you know, we can't stop that. Well, Um, like, two things that have been really alarming to me recently in terms of just environmental matters. One, I can't remember where this occurred. I should probably look it up for factual purposes. I think it was Greenland. It could have been Iceland. Some could have been somewhere in the Norwegian area. But one of their glaciers is now gone, and they put up a monument, and the monument literally is like a tombstone, and it's written to the future, and it says something like, in this spot used to lie whatever, whatever glacier. It is no longer here because we fucked up. And we destroyed the earth. And if you're reading this, it's because we want to make sure you didn't make the same mistakes we made. Mm. Isn't that insane? I can't. We can edit this. Like, I can't remember if we brought this up on that rant we had. But (laughs) in that, um, recently, like back in April, I think, there was a Netflix series that was released our planet that's what it's called and it's like the guy who did planet earth it's david attenborough but he i don't know if you've watched it but he goes he's not fucking around this time around he makes a lot of like quote unquote political statements but it's not politics it's just like fact and um there's one scene in particular everybody who's seen this remembers it where it's this incredibly sad music playing and you see on film like this massive part of like the arctic Shelf, I don't know what it's called, but like this humongous iceberg falling off and into the ocean. And I, and like I cried, like never in my life would I thought I would have cried over like watching a piece of ice fall into water. But like his, him just talking about like what it means for that to be happening and the sad music, I was like, holy shit. And David Attenborough is basically like, yo, he's like 80, so he's like, I don't even have that much time left. But like, you guys, if you want to have an earth. After this, we need to make some changes for real. Yeah. This is what's happening. It's terrifying and it's fucked up. I don't know. So I found, I looked it up really quick, so I was right. That glacier was in Iceland. 
And this is what they wrote on the tombstone. It's like heartbreaking. So the glacier was named OK, like letter O and K. I don't remember why. It stood for something larger, Okula Cool or something. Mm -hmm. So it says, a letter to the future. OK is the first Icelandic glacier to lose its status as a glacier. In the next 200 years, all our glaciers are expected to follow the same path. This monument is to acknowledge that we know what is happening and what needs to be done. Only you know if we did it. Oh my god. That's so powerful. Isn't that fucking crazy? Yeah, like just to remind, like if people survive into the future, like it's not because we didn't know, it's because we didn't act. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, remember I said there was two things recently that like have really affected me in terms of environmental matters. So this is one of them. The other one is the fact that China is no longer accepting any of our recyclables. So everything that we put into recycling and that gets sent to China is now being put in landfills. Why? I don't know. They've just, they've cut off the contract and the terms. So we typically send all of our recycling to China and are like, here's our recycling, do something with it. And they were like, no, we're not going to do anything with it anymore. Yeah. So like basically recycling doesn't exist. (sighs) Which is mortifying. I mean, here's something that like blows my mind. The entire world population has doubled in the last 40 years. Maybe 40 or 50. Doubled. Right? Like, (laughs) y'all, like, we can't have all these humans running around this planet. Like, at some point, we need to not have, we have limited resources. Yeah. can't just constantly reproduce forever and ever to the end of time. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. And then we have people like Elon Musk who are like, we'll just go to a new planet. I'm like, and destroy that planet too? Like, no. Let's, like, steward this planet and, like, take care of this planet before we go somewhere else, maybe. Like, that. what about that? Fucking psycho. So, Ugh. like, another point I kind of wanted to bring up, because this is now the second time that actually I have covered someone with autism on our podcast. Yes. And have you... I find it just absolutely fascinating. So I have this weird, I actually have a strange, like unintentionally I have followed multiple people in with autism in like the media. So there's this rock climber whose documentary I watched um, that was fucking nuts. What he, is that? Ah, fuck, I wish I could remember what it's called. Now I'm going to have to look it up. It's called Free Solo, and there's a whole documentary about him, and he does insane rock climbing without any ropes or anything. Yeah, and I'm yeah. talking like climbing massive El Capitan yeah. mountains. Like you fall, and, you die. Yeah. yeah, and like you you don't find out until like maybe 30 minutes into the documentary that he's for sure on the spectrum, and. Once you have that information, just watching his thought process, perspective, his dedication, loyalty, interest, like, just the level of extremity that lies in this passion that he has, 
that like literally he doesn't care if he dies doing it. It it's just that's the way it is. Yeah. Or like, you know, even Greta, like she has a form of autism and she found a passion in climate change and she, I mean, she fucking sailed a boat across yeah. the world. Like I what is that, you know? She's yeah. striking, not going to school. She's got 20,000 other kids striking. Like the level of dedication that goes into something like that, like it's insane. Like when you and were then tra- Oh, sorry. And then um what was my other lady? I was yeah, that's what I was just going to fucking um I, what, Temple Grandin. Temple Grandin. I fucking loved her. But her dedication and passion to like livestock and the the livelihood and happiness and wellness of those animals and how to make sure they were being cared for and that they were being listened to like she spent her whole life studying that and now all these different farmers across the world are using her methods because it's been proven that they are benefiting the animals that are being taken care of and then just the other day i watched this other insane documentary called mole man have you heard of that? I, I don't know what it's about, but I've heard of it. So, again, it's another guy who has some form of autism, and he spends his entire life, starting at a very young age, like 13, like building. He's basically built an entire village in the woods of like Pennsylvania behind his mom's house using nothing, like using zero types of products to keep like you know how normally if you build brick you have to use like grout or like some type of cement mortar yeah nothing so he has strategically and mathematically figured out how to build structures that are all rested and lying against each other to support itself word yeah and all of these things that he's used are things that he's found from abandoned homes so he's never bought anything He's taken things from abandoned homes and then rebuilt these, like, insane features. And now all these people go and they do tours of his place. And, like, I mean, he's been doing this since the 60s. Yeah. He hasn't stopped. Every day he wakes up and it's, all right, got to pick up where I left off. Got to keep building. And it's just, like, I have such an interest in that, I mean, that main part of autism. Like, yeah. I, I just think it's fascinating and, like, how special it is to have the ability or to be born with this, like, special skill set yeah. to find something that you love and to literally stop at fucking nothing yeah. to not only achieve it, but to yeah. keep it going forever. <laughs> like, it's just nuts to me. And yeah. so, I don't know, I've, like... I've, like, slowly but surely become so interested in, you know, people that are on the spectrum and, like, these insane skill sets that they have and just, like, learning more about it and just yeah. how fucking cool it is. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, even on top of just all the, like, the shitty, you know, environmentally fucked up places that we're in, it is very inspiring to see a girl at her age accomplishing all of this when no one else fucking is yeah i could go on and on what do you think her zodiac is is she a fire sign no is she an air sign no i have no idea okay um i have 
two guesses and that I don't know. My first guess is Virgo. Nope. Taurus. Nope. Okay, one last guess. Cancer. Nope. Okay, one more! But you said she's not your sign. Okay, no, I don't have any more. Capricorn. No way! I thought Virgo, because I feel like Virgos are people who, like, tend to... They're, like, tenders. They, like, tend to the earth. They tend to their environment. They tend to their people. Um, And then Taurus, I think, is similar in that way. But I would have guessed fire first. I would have guessed either Aries or Sagittarius, because she's straight and don't give a fuck. Yeah. Um, But I guess Capricorn. I mean, she... She's going all the way. <laughs> She's going all the way, and she don't give a fuck, so. I love that you covered her. Yeah. All I right. know. She's pretty cool, and I can only imagine what more shit she has under her sleeve. Like, this is somebody else we can cover again in a year. And okay. be like, well, here's yeah. all the other things Greta's done in the past year. Update, like a Mimosa Sisterhood update. Okay, I have a challenge for us. In the spirit of Greta... What is something that each of us could do to reduce our carbon footprint that we aren't already doing? Fuck. Well, I did not just buy a hybrid car. So... Look, you look, look that's, not, that's not your ability to do. That doesn't have to be that. Um, I don't know. You could eat less meat. You could eat less meat. I really don't meat even is a eat huge a lot of expenditure meat. of carbon footprint. Like any type of meat? Anything, yeah, if it comes from a mass farm. Unless you're literally buying from, like, a small farm down the street. Because, like, the mass. only meat I eat is chicken. Mm-hmm. I think it's, count? like, probably. I think cows more so, though. Because, see, really I couldn't one. even tell you, like, I, like, almost never buy beef, eat beef. Like, it's so rare. So, like, I do eat chicken, though. That's or, like, like, what about, okay, so what about, like, reducing waste? Is there any ways that we could, like, reduce waste or, like, consume things that are, like, compostable versus not? I'm just trying to make us... I know. Just, I feel know. like it's, like, it's... Well, one thing, though, is another point that should be discussed is that, like, we're never educated on this kind of shit. No. No, not at all. So, like, to like literally when I think, like, you know, car- what is it? Carbon, how do I minimize my carbon footprint? footprint yeah, like, I'm so. like, what does that even mean? Like, I, I, like, need to, like, define that and figure out what the fuck we're talking about because I feel like this is a whole new realm for our society. I, I bet like- you people don't even understand how much they waste. I'm also just like, by the way, we don't teach anybody anything in school, so that sucks. (laughs) We don't teach anybody shit. They're like, oh, here's, like, Tale of Two Cities, and I'm like, how do I not destroy the world and bounce checkbook? They're like, we don't care. (laughs) Read this fucking book by no one that you care about. You're like, oh, thanks. Great. Imaginary numbers. Here you go. You're like, fuck off. Long division. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I use that literally never in my life. Ever in my life. Remember doing long division and you'd have one math problem on an entire page? Because it would be that long. And you're like, oh, also calculators exist? Like, what the fuck? Okay. So, according to TakePart.com, whatever this is, a carbon footprint is the amount of greenhouse gases, 
greenhouse gases, primarily carbon dioxide released in the atmosphere by a human activity. It can blah, blah. It is blah, how, blah, blah. How can I reduce my carbon footprint? Uh, include driving more efficient vehicles or making sure that your current vehicles are properly maintained. T- taking public transport using energy efficient appliances. Insulating your home to reduce heating and air conditioning costs. Consuming food that doesn't require as much transportation and eating less meat, which has a higher carbon footprint than fruits and veggies. Uh, Companies can plant trees, carbon... Okay, whatever. See, that's like... It's pretty difficult. Like, given the type of society and world we live in... No, it's really like companies and corporations that are doing this, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, like, public, like, again, like, public transportation, but also it depends on where you live. If that's not available to you, like, you can't, Yeah, I could never take public transportation to work. I feel like there needs to be, like, like, countrywide, there needs to be, like, programs launched, assistance in how to, like, there needs to be some type of, like, citywide, statewide, countrywide initiative of, like, we're going to launch this thing. We're going to help you figure out how to do it for your own selves. Like, yep. here's guidance. Here's a pamphlet. Here's a meeting you can attend. Here's, like, a you know, just all the shit. Like, there needs to be information provided first mm-hmm. for people to even, like, wake up and be like, oh, fuck, like, this is actually plausible. Like, we can do this, but we need to know how. Well, this is actually a good lead-in to my woman of the week. Okay. Which, believe it or fucking not, is my mom. Whoa. So I have, like, a very, I've had a very complicated relationship with my mom over the years. But as she's getting older, she's getting, like, very, I think she's, like, it's weird. In her old age, she's almost, like, opening up to who she really is. And my mom is turning into this, like, almost, like, socialist, anarchist, like, punk rock bitch. Like, she's not necessarily, like, going out in the streets and protesting or, like, whatever, but, like, her attitudes have changed in this way that I'm just like, are you my mom? To the point where, like, now I, like, I found I don't really talk to her normally, but I've been talking to her a lot lately because I used to talk to her about, like, all my, like, crazy activist shit. And she was like, I don't understand what you're saying. And now she's like, yeah, totally. This is, like, what I'm going through. And I'm like, what the fuck? She's an, um... Most recently, she, I guess she has a friend, I won't name names, not that they're listening, but she has a friend who is her age, who grew up, like, very wealthy, um, and kind of is just out of touch with the world, you know, like, thinks that poor people didn't try hard enough, and, like, all that stuff, right? And my mom is, like, literally pissing off her friends, like, lecturing them on how they, like, need to care about low-income people, and just, like, all this stuff, and, like... I don't know, if you don't know my mom, it might not feel that amazing, but my mom is not the kind of, she's a very kind of, like, demure, she's not like me at all. She's not, like, outgoing. (laughs) We are, like, two opposite people. She's not outgoing. She's not, like, usually very vocal or opinionated. She's not in your face. She's none of that. But she's becoming that as she's getting older. And I'm like, Mm. I'm like, girlfriend! Like, what is going, it's really, like, touching and incredible to see her 
That's cool. Like awakening in this way that I never knew my mom had the potential to awaken. That's and it's fucking crazy badass. and super cool. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Like my mom's like 65. Like she's old. You know what I mean? She's like in her later life, but she's just, and maybe that's why, cause she's reached an age where she's like, I don't give a fuck. Like I'm gonna just yeah, do, just you like, know, like you know, whatever. I've lived this long. Who fucking cares? Yeah. Like I've been through so much. Like I'm gonna just say what I think. Um, but it's like, it is like really touching and kind of badass that I can like. That's awesome. Yeah. So shout out to my mom. Shout out to your mom. Yeah. What's her name again? Nancy. Nancy. I did know that. Or Nanny Goat. Nanny Nanny Goat. goat. Nanny Goat. I like that one. Shout out to Nanny Goat. That's hilarious. Yeah. She's out, she's, she's out there flexing for show. So That's that's my woman of the week. Cool. And I never, and, and it's cute because, like, like, I, like, I've just had a very, as many daughters do, I've had a very complicated relationship with her. So it's like very, it's a big deal to me that she's the woman of the week for That's me. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. yeah. Episode 33. It only took this far. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> but, you, and that's the thing, like, She's coming to this late in her life, but I'm like, but she's coming to it. Some people never come to it. Dude, let's hope my mom's right around the corner. You know? Like, how old is your she's mom? She's 63, I think. It's, dude, or it's 62. possible. My mom's in her, late, like, mid to late 60s. She might hit She might hit it. She might. Go Nancy Go. <laughs> Nanny Go! Oh, Get Nanny it, girl. Go! Get it, girl! All right, we need to wrap this up. Yeah, as long as episode ever. Whatever, who cares? <laughs> All right. Well, um, bye, guys. (laughs) It's been real.